Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to three supportive strategies for strengthening the therapeutic alliance, or why therapists' jobs are safe from the rise of the robots. Now, the question that um, I get asked sometimes is, could a robot do therapy? Or even a computer? And the answer is, well, maybe to some extent. You know, a robot doesn't judge you. A robot may be a good listener, if that's what it's been programmed to do. It might be very ably uh, uh, adept at feeding back what you say to it. And perhaps it could be engineered to set you therapeutic tasks, you know, help you spot and challenge absolutist and depressive thinking styles, which after all are binary, and even use soothing language and tone to provide deep relaxation, such a vital part of therapeutic treatment. And there's even evidence that computerized cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, can be effective for depressed and anxious young people. And I've found that even severely depressed people find great value in our self-service online depression treatment program. Although I do interact with participants to some extent um, if they want me to. But what might be missing from this? What might be missing from uh, pure sort of replication of therapeutic practice done via machine or computer? Now, of course, relationships matter. The warm breathing beating heart of two humans coming together for a common purpose is not one that can be easily automated. When it works well, there's something unique and irreplaceable about the warm and secure relationship that aids the therapeutic process. And in life generally, supportive relationships help us feel secure, strong, valued and inspired. There's nothing really more important than relationships when it comes to human fulfillment and happiness. And the therapeutic alliance is, of course, no different, except that the client's needs come far above those of the therapist, who is, after all, being paid. So the therapeutic alliance is a base from which therapy can happen. And in order for that base to develop, we need to be uh, a certain way for our clients. The therapist needs uh, to seem and be credible, able and confident, but also human and humane for their clients. Rapport can be established quickly and easily with most people. And yes, of course, they need to be willing and able to work with us. Um, therapy is a game of two halves and we need to be interested in the client's lives ideas and strengths and resources, uh, fascinated by them in a sense. But we have to be very mindful of something else as well. So the therapeutic alliance is not reliance. Okay. So there's no doubt that the alliance between client and therapist, its warmth and trust contributes greatly towards positive therapeutic outcomes, along with actual aptitude and knowledge on the part of the therapist and uh, readiness of the client, obviously. And I've written before about the therapeutic relationship and how vital it is that the therapist be aware that any primal emotional needs 
their client may be meeting from the therapy will ultimately need to be met by the client's wider life outside of the therapy. In other words, um, if the client or indeed the therapist is meeting their needs for um, say attention or intimacy or meaning only from the therapy, then the potential autonomy and emotional health of, the, of a client is compromised until those needs are met away from the therapeutic situation. So therapy needs to be clean in that sense. All therapists need to be clear about this. And here I want to offer three elements that I've found help strengthen the therapeutic alliance. So number one, emphasize the therapeutic alliance in the way that you speak with your client. And I recall a client asking me, uh, well, what are you gonna do? And it sat down and simply said, go on then, do your stuff. Okay. And um, I've laughed and said that even when you go for a massage, you have to do something. You know, you're not entirely passive. You know, you have to uh, lie down, uh, maybe remove your shirt and, and so on. You have to be, you know, engaged in the situation. And it wasn't a question of just me doing something. Uh, for that person, but both of us working together. And I made that uh, very clear to this client. In romantic relationships, it's been found that when partners use the pronouns we and us more often, uh, what the researchers call the we talk, the relationships tend to be stronger, naturally happier and more resilient. Okay, so talking in terms of us, we working together. The language used uh, conveys that truth, but I suspect purposefully using we talk more can in, re in return also help strengthen the relationship. Okay, so indeed the research has uh, conjectured that um, hearing your partner use we talk can help you feel better about the relationship as a whole because it's um, not divisive, it's um, collective, you're together in this. And perhaps all of us in the world need to think and talk more in terms of we and us rather than separateness and division, but I'm digressing there. Anyway, we can use alliance building we talk in therapy to convey the reality uh, that we're a team in this. We're a team of two people. Um, so we might say um, you know, something like, as we begin to leave depression behind, we'll start to see that you've got more energy in the mornings and actually start to feel like doing the kinds of things that you know are good for you. Okay, so we're in this together. Uh, you know, we might say, uh, uh, we're going to work together to help comfortably lift that trauma so you no longer feel troubled by flashbacks or nightmares. That's what we're looking for here. So it's a we talk, it's us. The alliance is uh, demonstrated by the way that you're communicating and the words that you're using. As we work together, we'll look at causes, but also solutions to help you to start to feel better quickly. So we can use our language to position therapy as a we activity, not a me separate from you process. It's not me doing something to you, it's us doing something together. We don't do therapy to our clients, but rather with them. We are facilitators as much as directors. But I also like to give the client credit when they make progress, you know, so it's not me that's needs the credit, it's them, because after all, it's them that makes the changes, ultimately, even if it's us that helps them facilitate that. And linked to this is my next point. As much as anything else, therapy is a process of 
discovery. So tip number two, remember that therapy is a learning situation. Therapy is a learning process. But you're both the student and the teacher. You as the practitioner, you're the student and the teacher. You may uh, know how to lift trauma fast, work with addictions and spot and challenge depressive thinking styles, but the alliance we have with our clients means we don't just apply our knowledge with them randomly. You know, clients um, lead us by what they say and experience, and from that we need to then learn just what aspects of our knowledge they need, when and perhaps how to apply it. You know, we're, when we ask um, therapeutic questions, we're doing so in order to truly learn, to be taught by our clients about them and what they need, uh, and also help our clients learn as well. So it's, we're, we're both teachers and we're both learners in this situation. Okay. The art of um, Socratic questioning used by therapists is as much about the client teaching the therapist as it is about the client teaching themselves. So when we ask someone a question like, um, uh, is it possible for a generally decent person to behave badly sometimes? Okay. Or can a person come back from losing a business and still make a success of their future life? When we're asking these sort of abstract questions, or you know, uh, we do this in the spirit of genuinely wanting to learn from the client rather than trying to force a right answer upon them. Okay, just widening the context. When context perception is widened in the client, it's also widened in the therapist. So we see more reality together. Lastly, we need to convey to our clients that we're confident not just in ourselves, but more importantly, in them. Okay, so number three, heighten expectation through your confidence. When you're confident, you're communicating something very important. I am very confident, I look confident, I act confident, I speak in a confident way. So said Milton H. Erickson, and he wasn't just showing off, he was uh, describing how important that form of communication is to other people and how it can impact and help and benefit them. So Dr. Milton Erickson also said the most important thing in changing human behavior is the person's motivation. And for motivation, we might just as well say expectation. Okay, motivation is expectation. But we don't have to just sit back passively and simply hope and pray our clients will be motivated to change. We can help them build that expectation by conveying our confidence in them simply by the way that we behave and communicate. We can talk to them not just about how they are at the moment or have been in the past, but how they need and want to be in the future. And we can help them believe they can grow and change with every nuance of every word and even gesture that we use to communicate with them. So by our very being, the way we are, we are communicating confidence in them. We can use presuppositions and talk about as and when they change rather than if. Okay, we can ask um, questions that presuppose change, such as uh, who's going to be the first person to notice without you telling them that you've started to leave that depression behind? And what will they notice about you, do you suppose? Imagine what they'll see about you. Will it be the way that you walk or the way that you talk or uh, the energy that you give off and so forth? 
And we can ourselves strongly envisage our client making the changes they need to do. We could sit down, do self-hypnosis, and imagine them making the changes so that we're congruent when we communicate with them. But really, there are few things that you can do for someone greater than believing in them. And in doing so, helping them believe in themselves as well. Not just as, as they are now, but who they can be in the future. Robots may replace many jobs, but the living, breathing heart of shared human experience and the intuitive flashes sparked from these interactions is one that can never completely be mechanized. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog.